This is the Fedora Chronicles radio show number 34, and I'm Eric Render King Fisk. On this podcast, I present a conversation that I had with Nikki Wheeler Nicholson Brown, granddaughter of Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson, the founder of DC Comics. We talk about his military background and the stand he took that got him into trouble, his travels, and his love for the written word and graphics. We also talk about the work that he did for writing for the pulps, and of course, Superman. This podcast was recorded at this year's Pulp Adventure Con in New Jersey and hosted by Rich Harvey. The Federal Chronicles Radio Show is brought to you by RetroAgogo, home of various products that have the vintage vibe. RetroAgogo.com This podcast is also brought to you by Penman Hats, handcrafted fedoras made here right in the United States. PenmanHats.com And once again, here is my interview with Nikki Wheeler Nicholson-Brown. Would you please introduce yourself to the listeners of Federal Chronicles Radio Show? Uh, my name is Nikki Wheeler Nicholson Brown, and my grandfather was Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson. He started DC Comics. He discovered Siegel and Schuster. He was one of the first people to see the drawing of Superman. He also was a pulp fiction writer, very prolific. Right now, I think his career spans from about 1924 to 1956, but there could be more. There could be more. You know, I mean, that is right up that is right up our alley right here for the Fedora Chronicles. We love stuff from the golden era. So it's like I'm sure that there are a ton of people who are probably screaming right now at the uh, speaker saying, hey, ask her this, ask her this. And it's like, I, I have no idea what to ask you other than... Let's start with the beginning. How, how did he get into uh, comics? Well, um, I think basically he started out as a news in uh, uh, as a newspaper writer. Mm-hmm. Um, his his grandfather started a newspaper in uh, East Tennessee called the Jonesboro Herald and Tribune, which is still, believe it or not, in existence. Mm-hmm. And so he grew up with. Uh, the whole idea of newspapers and writing for newspapers. His mother was a journalist. She was a pretty well-known suffragette. So he grew up with this idea of being a journalist and um, newspapers. Mm -hmm. And his first job out of high school was as a reporter in Portland, Oregon. And then he went to Manlius Military School in Manlius, uh, New York. Mm-hmm. in upstate New York, and uh, he had a, a, a pretty good military career, except that at the end of it, he wrote an open letter to President Harding criticizing the uh, army. Uh, I don't know how many people remember anything about Billy Mitchell, Colonel Billy Mitchell, Okay, but he was a very well-known person about the same time as my grandfather and he also had came into conflict with the army about the same time over corruption and with my grandfather it was specifically more about um uh 
going from enlisted into officers. Uh, I can't think of the word. This is terrible. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that there are some people who know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, you don't well, have to mention good. the word. Um, but having to do with, with uh, rising up through the ranks. And so w- he was court-martialed. And for for que- for questioning the uh, well, no, you as as a uh, an officer, you as as an enlisted person in armed forces, you cannot uh, write anything openly uh, criticizing the chain of command. Okay, and you can understand why. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, it makes sense, and um, I think he must have realized that. He was going to be court-martialed, and I'm not quite sure why he wanted to do that, but it probably had something to do with the fact that he was also in military intelligence at one point. Mm -hmm. He was in uh, Russia in 1917 uh, during the Bolshevik Revolution, and he was attached to the Japanese embassy, and he was in military intelligence. So I think there's something. I think there's a connection there. You think you think that there's something more to the story? Oh than yeah, just there's that. a lot more to the story. He was exonerated of all the court martial uh, points except for writing the open letter, which you know Guilty was not charged. correct. Guilty as charged. <laughs> which was not correct. Right. And after he got out of the army, um, he started a, a company called Wheeler Nicholson Inc. And he started um, a syndicate, a newspaper syndicate, and he was the first person to put uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's stories in comic strip format. And this was in the 1920s. And he also hired some really interesting people to work for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were well-known artists and well-known writers. There was a guy named N. Brewster Morse, who wrote uh, quite a few movies, scripts in the 30s, and he worked uh, as a writer for my grandfather, and there was an interesting German artist named Oscar Haidt, mm-hmm. who was well-known, um, who worked for my grandfather also during that period. And then from there, all during this period, he was writing Pulp Fiction, and he wrote... Right now, I think he wrote something like 117 total stories, novels, novelettes, serials. But that, that's, that number doesn't include the number of magazines that all of those things appeared in, nor does it include the Spanish translations or the reprints or simultaneous appearance in other countries. So he was pretty prolific throughout his career. And I think that... The Pulp Fiction idea was what he took to Mm -hmm. comics. And when he started DC Comics, it was called um, More Fun and New Fun, and then eventually uh, uh, Action Comics, and then DC Comics. And I think what he really brought to it was his love of Pulp Fiction Mm -hmm. and the adventure action stories. I think it was just a natural uh, uh, way of of moving it along. It was just a natural love, and he was trying to progress it towards a much more mainstream one of... Yeah, but you know, I've always been fascinated with his love of the graphic. Yeah. You know, that... Being so interested 
from early on, yep. you know, in the 20s, the, the idea of putting things into graphic form. Yeah. Like the Robert Louis Stevenson stories. Yeah. Kind of like illustrated classics. Yes. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah, that's that's. I, I read so many of the classics. And it's Me like too. people think that I'm a, people think that I'm literate because I said yeah. It's like I read Two Thousand Leagues Under the Sea when I was twelve, but it was a graphic graphic illustrated. Uh, tell me about your grandfather, the person, though. What, what kind of? Well, I never knew him. Okay, I did not grow up with him, so I really can't talk about him on a personal level. I just know him from being part of the family yeah. and um, from. Uh, what the research that I've done about him for the last 13 years and the way he you know in a way I may have I may be romanticizing him because I didn't know him but I always look to his work and his writing because so many of the stories he wrote in Pulp Fiction are based on events in his own life and the way he describes things and the things that he did in his life, I, I feel that I do know that part of him. And I think he was a very courageous person. I think he was also a real romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you have to be to to take on an, a, a venture of that magnitude. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So if I, if I just rattle on names for just like some, some uh, word association... Like mm-hmm. if I say Superman, like what's the first thing that that comes to mind in, for you in association with your grandfather? Well, what comes to mind for me is that I think he saw this character, and because he was a very sophisticated man who had lived in other countries, he spoke a couple of other languages. Uh, he was married. My grandmother was uh, Swedish. He had traveled a great deal. He was very well read. And I think when he saw this character, my uh, aunt, the oldest of his children, said that he saw this idea of the Superman uh, during the Depression, the idea of the Nietzschean ideal. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something that he connected with. It certainly, I don't think that was what Siegel and Schuster were uh, focusing on, but I think he he really recognized the possibilities of it, and he thought they were incredibly talented, yeah. and encouraged them. The popularity of Superman, other than just the the superpowers, and he can do anything that he sets his mind to. That's in a very American ideal. Is it also that uh, there's something about Superman that is the ultimate American story as well? It's a metaphor for immigrants who come to this country and just become great things. Do you think that that's why he was so attracted to the the idea of Superman? Uh, I'm sure that's part of it, and but I also think that there's that the military aspect of it in terms of someone who's so uh, upright and upstanding and morally correct, mm-hmm. and you know this whole concept of the Justice League. Yep. I I think there's something you know there's an old fashioned military heroic aspect to that that he may or may not have had anything to do with. But definitely, it's it's just interesting to think about in terms of who he was and what kind of influence he may have had on Siegel and Schuster. I know that he, he was constantly giving them ideas yeah. and... Um, and of course, they made it their own because of, they were so talented. Yeah. 
and he would never claim anything because I don't. He just wasn't that type of person. Okay. And um, he was just a good editor. Yeah. And recognized talent. That was something that interestingly um, was said to me recently by uh, uh, Pete Marston, the son of William Moulton Marston, who uh, originated uh, Wonder Woman. And what Pete said to me, and I thought this was really interesting, he said, what strikes me about your grandfather is that he recognized talent. Mm-hmm. And that's a talent in itself, to be able to see other people's talents and encourage them to do good work. It's also something huge not to be jealous of somebody else's uh, talent right. and, and nurture somebody else and not be jealous of it. That's, right. that's huge. Uh, another character, Batman. Um, <laughs> I don't think he had anything to do with Batman, although there was some, there's some mythology in my family that he did, but so far I have not been able to turn up one iota of that other than family mythology, so I, I don't want to... There's nothing you can tell me about that? No, I, I don't really think, you know, I don't want to perpetuate you know, poor, mis- you know, bad information. Yeah. And right now, at this point in my research, I have not uncovered anything other than family hearsay. Okay. Just really quick, what is your impression of the Batman character, and why do you think Batman is so, so popular? Well, I'm going to cheat because um, <laughs> I heard Michael Uslan, the, uh, the producer of all the Batman movies, give a talk uh, a couple of weeks ago at uh, New York Comic Con. Yeah, we were there. We were there. And I have to say, it was so inspiring. And one of the so I'm going to say what Michael said because it struck me as as very uh, indicative of the character. And Michael said that the reason that he was attracted to Batman was because it was a person who didn't have superpowers. Yes, but a person who made something of themselves uh, out of their own efforts. Yeah, and I thought that was a very interesting. Um, comment and and i like that and i would agree with that do you think that bruce wayne would have been such a great hero as batman if he didn't have the money do you think he would have found a way to be the dark knight (laughs) now that's an interesting question especially when we think about the times we live in um i don't know i think it would have been a lot harder yeah i think it would be because obviously he had uh, the, you know, as that character, he had all the influence yep. and the connections. It's more than just the money. Right. You know, it's the position in society, too. So that, that's an interesting... That's something I've always wondered about. Yeah, yeah, know? that's a great question. Yeah, and uh, do you ever feel as if Iron Man was a knockoff of uh, of Batman or... You know, these superheroes, these archetypes, um, they, they're so, uh, they have so many attributes that I, I don't really ever see any of them as knockoffs. I think they all just have different characteristics of some very specific archetypes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, then, now it's like I did, uh, I asked you about uh, Superman, Batman, have to ask you about Wonder Woman. Uh, what can you tell me about Wonder Woman? Well, I don't really, you know, I'm really not an expert in okay. comics by okay. any stretch of the imagination. But I have uh, recently uh, had the opportunity to talk a lot with Pete Marston, 
uh, one of the sons of William Moulton Marston. And Pete has the most amazing uh, museum in his house that is just, it's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. And, of course, um, as a girl, I loved Wonder Woman. And I have to say that I loved her costume. (laughs) It's a very empowering, very... Uh, well, there's just something, as I said not too long ago, it's it's like the princess tiara with the tutu. What little girl is not going to go for that? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but they, uh, they've also sort of updated her costume recently. Right. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I mean, who cares what I think about that, but I didn't think uh, it's the, all that. The listeners of this podcast <laughs> care. I, I, you know, like a lot of people, I didn't think it was all that... Great, but I imagine that there are reasons why, because I think there's going to be a new TV series, and it probably needed to be toned down in order for it to be family-friendly kind of thing. So I'm sure there was a reason for it. Well, I mean, Wonder Woman was born out of the 40s and 50s. I mean, I can't imagine, I mean... If you see some of the stuff in uh, on Disney, that's pretty provocative. I mean, <laughs> right. how, how, how can you turn your nose up on Wonder Woman while you allow Hannah Montana to? Right, you know, right. I, yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> when you when you look at DC properties mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and uh, like uh, Superman has gone through a um, uh, a, a new phase with right. Smallville. Mm-hmm. You look at the Batman movies, mm-hmm. which is. Um, just the retelling of the classic right, story right. and there's going to be a new wonder woman show right. or a new wonder woman movie hopefully let's keep our fingers crossed right and it's like you see all these dc properties what what do you think uh well since i don't own dc <laughs> it really doesn't matter what i think about it and it's a huge corporation and I think for the most part, they do a really tremendous job. There are a lot of very talented people who work for DC and who care very deeply about the characters. Right. Um, And I've met a lot of very, very nice people in that uh, organization. And I would say, by and large, that everybody really cares about what they do. So... The other thing, you know, a lot of people who know about my grandfather, a lot of people don't even know about him. Um, But those people who do, a lot of times they bring up the fact that um, he wasn't a very good businessman. And I would take issue with that. Uh, because I think a businessman is is more than just about the money. You have to – an entrepreneur has to have the, a vision and they have to have the drive and the will and they also have to be able to manage people really well and they do need to be able to handle money. Yep. And I think that Donenfeld and Leibowitz – actually are the two people who did really make dc happen and i know that may sound strange but you know i'm not so sure that that you know my grandfather would have been able to do that really and i i think that he's just a part of the whole thing and i think the part that he is is the real artistic creative drive behind it That they were not really creative people. They were businessmen. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's what I think they did really well. Now, you you have mentioned 
uh, several different times about research that you're doing. Yeah. Are, are you working on a book? or? Yes, I am. Okay. Could you tell us anything about it? Do you have a publisher? Uh, I'm in negotiation right now, so I can't really talk about it. <laughs> I think all people want to know is that you are working on a book and, right. it, and you, you are working to have it published. Right. That's what people want to. Right. Is there anything that you really want people to know about your grandfather right now, though? I just like people to know what he did, yeah. that he he was there, he accomplished a great deal, um, he was not, uh, he was not uh, a buffoon or uh, uh, some of the ways he's been presented as a caricature. He was a really intelligent man who had a great vision, and that's what I'd like people to know about him. That would be terrific, and I I hope that you will uh, uh, keep my card yes, handy. Yes, I will. And please tell me when the book is released. Uh, sure. I, I, I cannot wait to read this book. <laughs> okay, it great. It sounds like a blast. Well, thank you. Yeah, Thanks absolutely. for your interest. I appreciate hey. it. No, thank you for spending the time with us. Thank you. For all of you looking for more information about the DC Comics founder, please be sure to check out Nikki Brown's website, MajorMalcolmWheelerNicholson.com, all one word. There's also a link to it on our main site. I want to thank her once again for her time and the mention that she posted about the Fedora Chronicles on her website. Be sure to keep an eye out for the book about her grandfather. I'm sure it's going to be a great read. Thanks once again to Rich Harvey of Pulp Adventure Con. And another thanks to you, our listeners. Have a great week. Keep your chins up and your fedoras on. Thanks for listening.